Scripture reading this morning will be in Luke chapter 20. If you would all please stand, we'll be reading Luke 20, the first eight verses. That's Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Father, we pray now that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. Uh, help us to learn as we study scripture today and help our lives to come into conformity with what it is that you have for us in this text. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you have an ESV Bible that contains the headings over each passage of the text, you may glance down there and notice over today's text that it says the authority of Jesus is challenged. And that's exactly what's going on here. The, the religious leaders are challenging Jesus' authority. Now, throughout Jesus' ministry, of course, he had demonstrated that he had total authority. For example, back in Luke chapter 4, we're told that Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Jesus spoke with authority. <clears throat> this was unusual in that day. The scribes and the rabbis often appealed to tradition as the authority. Uh, for what they were simply repeating. But Jesus taught in an entirely different way, and this is what uh, caused people listening to him to be so uh, astonished and amazed at his teaching. He spoke without qualification and with absolute authority and confidence. Not only did Jesus demonstrate his authority in his teaching, but also in his miracles. He had authority over demons, for example. In the very same text there in Luke 4, it goes on to read in verse 33, In the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Uh, you see those two words in verse 36, authority and power, exousia and dunamis in Greek. It means he has the ability and he has the right to command demons and they must obey. Total authority. You also may remember that crazy story over in chapter 8 of Luke where Jesus cast the demons out of a man and the demons requested that he send them into some pigs that were nearby. Uh, verse 32 of Luke 8 says, A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they, speaking of the demons inside of this man, begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. The demons had to get permission from Jesus in order to do this. Such was the authority that he had over them. Not only did Jesus have authority over demons, but also over sickness. Uh, we've seen this, of course, throughout Luke's gospel. One example, back in chapter 4, it says that we, we, Jesus arose and left the synagogue. He entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. Uh, Jesus possessed such authority that he could simply rebuke an illness in someone, and it had to leave immediately. 
the centurion in Capernaum in chapter 7, he understood the authority Jesus possessed over sickness. You remember he sent word to Jesus requesting that he come and heal his sick servant. And then in verse 6, it says that the centurion sent friends saying to him, to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. He says, Jesus, you don't need to come all the way to my house to heal my servant. Uh, just speak the word right where you are, and I know that my servant will be healed immediately. And here's his reasoning that led him to this conclusion. Verse 8, For I too am, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he com comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This centurion understood that Jesus had absolute authority, that he could stand where he was, command something to take place in his world, and it would take place. And he understood the authority of Jesus. He spoke with authority. He had authority over demons. He had authority over sickness. Jesus also had authority over death. Uh, later in chapter 7, we read, Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. His disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. The authority of Jesus over death is seen again in Luke chapter 8 when he raises the daughter of Jairus. Also in John 11, the famous story when he raises Lazarus from the dead. In all three of these cases, Jesus simply commanded a dead corpse to come back to life, and it instantly happened. And as we'll see in the weeks to come in the book of Luke, Jesus also had authority to raise himself back to life. John 10, Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And so Jesus spoke with authority. He had authority to command demons. He had authority over sickness and death. We also see in Luke that Jesus had authority over the weather. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 22, one day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go over, across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down from the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. They went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. He awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. I love how they go from being afraid of the storm to being afraid of Jesus in verse 25. If, if a storm is powerful and terrifying, how much more a person who can command a storm and it must obey? Such was the authority of Jesus. Finally, we also see that Jesus had authority to forgive sins. Over in chapter 5 of Luke, we read, On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord 
was with him, with Jesus, to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof to let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I tell you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. They glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So Jesus had authority in his teaching. He had authority to heal sickness. He had authority to raise the dead. He had authority to command demons, authority over the weather, authority to forgive sins. If you wanted to sum it up, Matthew 28 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's pretty all-encompassing. Uh, Jesus is the supreme authority over all the world. But just because someone possesses authority, that doesn't mean everyone will automatically accept that fact and respect their authority. Human nature is to rebel against the authorities in our life. We want to be our own masters. And so when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, there are some there who accept him as king and others who do not. The religious leaders predictably, of course, fall into the latter category. Uh, growing up, I was one of uh, three siblings in my house for most of my childhood. A couple of uh, little brothers came along later on. Uh, but of the three of us, the oldest was my sister. And uh, I was the youngest of the three. And so as you might ex expect, my sister delighted in bossing me around. And I delighted in ignoring her instructions. Uh, but my sister quickly figured out a way around my disrespect for her. She would tell me uh, to do something I didn't want to do, like clean my room or whatever. And I would respond with something really mature, like, you're not my boss, uh, usually while sticking my tongue out. And then she would go to my mother and point out the disheveled state of my room. And she probably even used the word disheveled. She was that sort of just snooty older sister. Uh, but then she would come back with a look of accomplishment and once again tell me to clean my room. But this time she would add the words that I hated to hear. Mom said so. Uh, that was the worst, because now not only did I have to clean my room, but I also knew that she would get the satisfaction of having made me do it. When she said to me, clean your room, there was no chance that I was going to do it. But if she said, mom told me, or mom said to clean your room, uh, now I was out of options. Because in our house, to ignore those words was no different than if mom had said it directly to me. And so to ignore that order was to incur my mother's wrath. So the text before us is sort of that same spirit. The religious leaders are... Uh, of Jerusalem are questioning Jesus' authority. They're saying, you're not our boss. And so they're asking him, who gave you the authority that you have to do these things? Verse uh, 1 of chapter 20 says, One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. Now, as with any text of the Bible, it's always important to study uh, the verses in the context of what previously came before. And so uh, when the chief priests and the scribes come up and they say, tell us by what authority you're doing these things, 
an astute Bible student will instantly ask the question, what things? Uh, What is it that Jesus did that is leading them to ask this question? Uh, Now, if you were with us here the last couple of weeks, hopefully you know the answer to that question. I'm probably just wasting my breath even reminding you of it, but in case you don't remember, uh, here's a quick refresher. The end of chapter 19 is where Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem. This is often called the triumphal entry of Jesus. He sent some disciples on ahead of him, uh, told them to go to a certain house and just take a donkey that was there. He said, if anybody asks you what you're doing, just tell them that I need it. And so Jesus gets on this donkey. He rides it into Jerusalem. As he's coming into town, there are crowds of people all around shouting, saying things like, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the religious leaders tell Jesus to silence the crowd, but he refuses. And then after this grand arrival into the city of Jerusalem, Jesus heads straight to the temple and he just starts throwing things. Uh, He overturns the tables of the money changers. He gets all the animals and drives them out in a stampede out of the temple. And in the midst of all of that, he says, you guys are wrong to be selling things here. This is God's house. Uh, This should not be done here. And then it says he started teaching daily in the temple. And so you can imagine what these religious leaders are thinking. They're the high priests. They're the ones who are in charge of the temple and of the religious worship in Jerusalem. And they see Jesus coming into town in this huge parade, uh, overthrowing their tables, driving them out of the temple. And then he starts teaching. And so they walk up to Jesus and they say, basically, just who do you think you are, Jesus? I mean, you come into town acting like you own the place. You come in here Uh, leading this parade. Everybody's calling you king and you're encouraging it. Who made you king? I don't remember an election. And what do you mean by coming into the temple, rebuking the priests who are conducting business here? All those money changers and animal sellers, they had the proper permits to be here. Uh, How dare you just come in and throw them out like that? After all, we're the priests, right? We're the ones that are, uh, have the authority and the right to conduct things in the temple. You're just some random guy from Galilee. Who gave you the right to act like you're in charge here? And so they're questioning or challenging his authority over them. Now listen to his answer. Verse 3. He answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Now remember, John the Baptist came preaching just a few years before Jesus. And largely the people of Israel received John's message as from God. Uh, Luke chapter 3 says of John that during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And John the Baptist had an incredibly successful ministry. Mark 1 verse 5 says that all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so most people in Israel recognized John the Baptist as a true prophet of God. Uh, they, they recognized that he spoke with authority and they respected that. But there were some who did not. Uh, these same religious leaders who opposed Jesus' ministry also rejected the ministry of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 7, verse 24 says, When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. And he said, what, do you, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, Those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. 
that the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And so Jesus says, John the Baptist, he was a great prophet. Verse 29, when all the people heard this, the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. And so basically, you can just picture this. He's going on talking about how great of a man, great of a prophet John the Baptist was, and the crowds are just nodding, and they're thinking, oh yeah, John, he was great. He was a great prophet for sure. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Uh, They rejected John's message. In fact, Jesus tells us that they claimed John the Baptist was demon-possessed. Verse 43 says, John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. Uh, The Pharisees, the religious leaders said, you better not listen to that guy. He's crazy. They rejected John the Baptist. And so when Jesus asked them here in our text, was the baptism of John from heaven? He's essentially asking them, was John a true prophet? Was he sent from God? Verse 5 of our text says, they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, at first, uh, this may seem like Jesus basically dodged their question, uh, that he's really just not going to answer it. But I don't think that's true. I think Jesus is giving them the answer to their question, because if you answer the question about John the Baptist correctly, uh, it's the same answer as their question. Jesus was given authority by the same person that John was. Uh, Let's go through a few texts here. John chapter 1 verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John the Baptist could preach with authority because God had sent him to do that. And so when he preached, nobody could say, "Uh, you're not my boss. You don't have the authority to say this to me. Because John was saying, God said so. Uh, He was preaching with the authority of God himself. He wasn't preaching with his own authority. He was a messenger of God declaring his words. And Jesus is the same. Jesus spoke and acted not merely from his own authority, but derived authority. God the Father had sent him into the world to speak and act on his behalf. Verse 48 of John 12 says, The one who rejects me, this is Jesus speaking, and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say, and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Uh, Also, John 14, verse 10 says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. And so all of Jesus' teaching and ministry throughout his life was given to him by the Father. God the Father directed Christ throughout his life. This is why Matthew 28, that verse we just read says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, Given by whom? And the answer is God the Father. God the Father sent Jesus into the world carrying the full authority that he possesses. And so Jesus is the supreme authority in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to him. And because of that, the rest of that uh, text in Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe 
all that I have commanded you. Because Jesus is the supreme authority of heaven and earth, therefore we are to go and make disciples. And we make disciples by baptizing and teaching them to obey Christ's commands. In other words, this is what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is one who has bowed the knee in submission to Christ and said, whatever you command me to do, I will obey. We as disciples are those who recognize Jesus as our authority. He is our king. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The foundational confession of Christianity is Jesus is Lord. And that confession is not just the same as saying Jesus is God. Uh, We believe that too. But Jesus is Lord means something more than that. It means he has authority. He has authority over my life. If he is my Lord, then I am his servant. If he is the king, then I am his subject. There are many today who think they are Christians merely because they say Jesus is Lord. Uh, But if we're not living in light of that reality, we aren't true disciples. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do what I tell you. In other words, it's an empty confession. If we say Jesus is Lord, yes, I believe that he has all authority, but then we turn right around and live however we want with no concern for his will. If that's your mindset, then Jesus isn't your Lord. So the question for each one of us is, does Jesus have authority in our life? Can he come in and throw out our idols? Uh, Just like he came into Jerusalem and drove out those animals and threw the tables with the money over. As followers of Jesus, you and I have things in our life that when we come to Christ, he will demand that we throw out. And the question is, will we let him? Or will we say, like these religious leaders, who gave you this authority? Will we challenge the right that Jesus has over us? I think there are many ways in which Christians challenge the authority of Jesus. Again, we we don't have him standing right in front of us. And so you might read a text like uh, ours in Luke 20 and think, well, that has nothing to do with me. Uh, That only applies back then. Well, I I think we do the same thing. Uh, One obvious way is when we just blatantly refuse to do what he says in his word. The Bible commands us to do something that we don't want to do, and we just say no thanks. Uh, And so in so doing, we kick Jesus off the throne of our heart. Every one of us has idols, uh, priorities in our lives that threaten the supreme authority of Jesus might be a job or a hobby or even a relationship, something that we hold as more important than Christ. And if Jesus is truly your Lord, can he throw out your idols? Will you respond with obedience when he comes bulldozing into your life and says, that's got to go? Spiritual growth, in a sense, is nothing more than submitting to Christ's authority over you more and more. That's what it means to grow as a Christian. It's learning what Christ has commanded and then doing it. And your spiritual growth depends greatly on your attitude towards the authority of Jesus over you. You will either submit to Christ more and more as you learn what he expects from you and how he wants you to live, or you'll resist him. Uh, Every time you read in the Bible something you don't like, or every time you hear a sermon, something you don't want to do, you have to make that decision. Will I allow Christ to rule over me today? Uh, Catherine and I right now are in the process of uh, buying a house And one of the great things about owning a home as opposed to renting is that you can do what you want to with it. Uh, We can, you know, and so basically as as soon as we agreed on a price with the seller and I started moving forward, signing paperwork and all that nonsense that's associated with purchasing a house, 
Uh, we, we started to think about all the things we wanted to do once we moved in. I'm thinking about walls I want to blow out and projects I want to get working on. The, the house uh, hasn't been lived in for a while, so Catherine's wanting to get in there and clean right away. And, uh, but the problem is, it's not ours yet. Uh, not until closing, when the keys are handed over and all the paperwork has been signed. At that moment, the house will belong to us and we can do what we want with it because we will own that property. And as a Christian, when we repent of our sins and trust in Christ for salvation, we are in essence handing the keys over to Jesus, the keys of our life. We belong to him now. Uh, we are his possession. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If Jesus is your Lord, then that means you belong to him. He bought you when he shed his blood on the cross for you. You and I were sinners, and Christ paid the ultimate price to purchase us. And now we belong to him. And that means he can do with us what he wants. He has the right to tell us what to do. How silly would it be if after we bought our house, maybe six months later, uh, the previous owner shows up and starts telling us what we can and can't do with our house. Uh, he walks in and you know we're putting up some drywall in the basement. He says, no, I don't like that. You can't do that. Uh, we would say to him, we can do what we want. This is our house. Uh, we bought it. And as silly as that would be, that's the exact mindset that you and I can fall into. We give our lives to Jesus. We say, you're my Lord. Uh, please forgive my sins. Give me eternal life with you. Uh, here, let me get baptized and publicly show the world my commitment to you. And then a few years pass and we say to Jesus, you can't tell me what to do. That, that area of my life is off limits. I'll go to church. I'll give a little in the offering. I might even read my Bible and pray, but you can't tell me to fill in the blank. It's like we sold the house and we take the payment for it, but then we also want to hold on to the house. It doesn't work that way. Either Jesus is your Lord or he isn't. Either you believe that he has total authority over you or you don't. And if Jesus is Lord of all, if he has authority over heaven and earth, then the only options for us are obedience or rebellion. And as the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they chose rebellion. We'll see that more in the next few weeks.